This is Serena Cherry from Svalbard, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back with another fresh and exciting episode. And tonight, on the show, Travis Shettle of Piebald. We have spoken to Travis. We have gotten the goods. And we will be delivering them to you momentarily. Yeah, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Uh, I got super excited because uh, Travis is a part of a band that my wife and I don't share much in common when it comes to music. But uh, we both love piebald and which is for her she doesn't love much music but it's one of those bands <laughs> that we can share and i'm just so glad i got to ask him a couple things that were really kind of uh nagging questions i had over the years and things i just wanted to kind of get out in the open and nothing like juicy like oh what about this like it, i just clarifying things having been a fan for a long time i really just wanted to make sure uh i got some uh closure on <laughs> some ly- <laughs> lyrical content name choice you know just that kind of stuff i was but it, it was such a great time and he's a super nice guy yeah yeah great band great person so strap in you're going to be hearing that soon and folks just some quick reminders follow us on everything twitch.tv slash the new scene Facebook, The New Scene, YouTube, The New Scene, and please subscribe to us there. Like the videos, comment if you dig them. Twitter and Instagram, New Scene Pod. And folks, and folks, I can't believe I have not announced this on the show yet, but we have shirts. They're live. They're here. The long sleeve life is music is life. New Scene Podcast shirt is live. Pre-orders are up. To get your shirt, go to the Death Wish store and search The New Scene. You'll see the shirt. You can order it. The post is also up on our page. Check it there. The best way to support us right now is to buy this shirt. We don't have a Patreon. We don't ask for any money, but we have this shirt, and it's a great-looking shirt. So if you want to support us, pick yours up today. The design is by Brian Morgante of Flesh and Bone Design. Pre-order yours now. It's ready. It's here. Let's do it. Oh, yes. And of course, support our sponsor, Iodine Recordings. Check them out at iodinerecords.com. Great bands, great merch, great everything. Now, Tommy, there is more breaking news in the Every Time I Die camp. A lot has happened. Last week, we announced that the band released a statement saying they were done. And then Keith released a legal notice that the band sent him to separate from the band. And then the Bass player Steve Michi Steve Mi- I hope I'm saying this right. Steve Michichi. <laughs> he released a statement, a long statement, and I got like halfway through it and I was like, oh man, I'm like tired of reading statements. <laughs> Tommy, this band sounds like they have a lot of issues. They need that therapist that Metallica had. Yeah, yeah. They sound like they have a lot of issues with Keith and Keith has issues with his brother and everyone's got problems that, and they, I mean, one of the statements, they said we should have just broke up in 2014. (laughs) Jesus. I think that was in a statement Keith released. I can't keep track of all the statements, but apparently they, things were bad in 2014. And he said, we should have just broken up then. 
So I guess this was a long time coming, huh? Yeah, this sounds like a lot of these issues have been kind of bubbling under the surface and uh, that uh, show in uh, upstate New York kind of just brought everything to a head, apparently. Yeah, so it's done. I guess that's it. Well, I'll play Hot Damn tonight and light a candle. (laughs) (laughs) Floater is such a good song. It is a great song. There's a lot of, there's a couple tracks on Hot Damn that I can just play over and over again. Track two, I don't remember the name of it, Off-Broadway, I think, and Floater. I really like the lyrics in Floater, and I go back to that song the most. I just, it's a shame, because they're a good band. They still make cool music, and uh, I don't know. I just, it bums me out, especially when it's like a family type thing. You know, they're brothers. I know I've butted heads with siblings of mine, but I really just hope everything comes to, I hope they give themselves enough of a break that eventually they can sit down uh, when everybody has uh, cooler heads and uh, hopefully uh, they can come back together at some point and, you know, play some music so everybody can come back and have a great time. I think they will. I think they just need an extended break. Yeah. Best wishes to Every Time I Die. And what else is going on? Oh, Little Greenhouse came out last weekend, Tommy. Oh, yeah. You sent me a track right away. Yeah. I was like, this is the best song I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first song on the record. What? A, this is my new favorite band now. I love this record. I listen to it a lot. I actually am. I was kind of taken aback with the first song you sent me because it was like, you know, I was very used to the the sound that you had sent me on the first one, and I was like, oh, okay, this is the single. Kind of ran that into the ground, and then you sent me that one, and it, there's a really heavy section in that in the about two and a half minutes deep where he's screaming. Yeah, yeah. I did not. That came kind of came out of left field and kind of hit me. I was like, wow. And it's good heavy. I mean, it's not like it's let's just put it this way. It's not misplaced. It clearly fits in line with the the song structure and the way it works. But at the same time, uh, definitely not what I thought it was going to sound like. Yeah, it's tasteful, heavy thrown in there. They don't shy away from a little bit of aggression here and there. But I think it's a fantastic album. Congrats to the gentleman in the band. I like it a lot. And that inspired me to go back and listen to Blink-182, the self-titled. And I forgot how good that record is. You know, I would listen to songs here and there, but I listened to the whole thing through. And a lot of it, most of it, is really good. And I can really hear the influence on Anxious. Tommy, did you go back and listen to Here's Your Letter? I did. What'd you think? It's okay. Oh. That's not my cup of tea. I can understand it's a great... It. it I will say this, the the lyrics are very heartfelt and uh, they're, it's, they're poignant. I mean, it's a good song. I just, I don't know what it is about that kind of melodic kind of that type of music for some reason. I tend to zone out, if that makes any sense. Like rather than really focusing on kind of the music, I, I tend to kind of focus on the, my like my surroundings rather than the actual music itself. So it doesn't grab you. It doesn't, no. Well, here's the thing. That's not my go-to genre, but Blink are so good that I am compelled by them when I listen to it. The power of Christ compels you. (laughs) Sure, why not? (laughs) So that's it. So we're out of time for this segment. Check back in with us at segment three, because we're going to talk about my birthday recap, Tommy. Ooh. Ooh, I'd love to hear about this. Yes, yes. And uh, we're going to read some listener feedback it's going to be very exciting but folks right now we are going to talk to travis shettle of piebald enjoy hey, you're part of it. 
collecting 10 bucks a pop And he says to me Hey! You're part of it! Yeah! You're part of it! Hey! You're part of it! Yeah! You're part of it! All right, folks, we're here now with Travis Shettle. Travis, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's very exciting to have you here. So Travis, you got to tell us, how are you doing today? Oh, today? Pretty good. Uh, I feel good about today so far. What'd you do? What happened? <clears throat> well, I worked on some school uh, homework, and I also sat at the bar where I work and received deliveries. Thursday is delivery day. I see. Now, are you attending school? Yes, I'm going to Southern University of New Orleans for social work. It's a master's degree. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'm trying. That's awesome. So do you live in New Orleans? I do. Yeah, I've lived here now for over five years. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Did you move there from Boston? I moved there from Los Angeles. I've been living there previously for about 12, 14 years. And then before Los Angeles, I lived in Boston. Wow, so you've been all over the place. I have. Kind of uh, lived in all sorts of places in these wonderfully weird United States. What's your favorite so far? Well, I'm going to say New Orleans because now I'm living here. I mean, I, I go to school here. I'm getting married to uh, a fine lady who lives here and has family here. So I'm an, I am a Louisiana resident, which I never thought I would say, let me tell you. So it's interesting yeah, to say that. Even just saying the words... I'm a Louisiana resident. I can't imagine never saying that. Yeah, I didn't think I would ever fully accept that and, and say that that's real, but that is real. I am a Louis, I'm a New Orleans man and a Louisiana resident. That's excellent. Sounds great. Did you, um, what prompted the move from Los Angeles to Louisiana? Well, I'd always had wonderful times in New Orleans and thought it was a magical place, uh, whether it was on a tour or... For a wedding or I remember one time a bunch of us that worked together at the Big Burrito in Boston ages ago we went down there and had so much fun so I just uh, equated the city with uniqueness and wonderful memories and moved down here knowing one person and uh, yeah kind of created a life it's, it's a wonderful little weird city yeah that sounds great what's the weather like down there because in currently just outside of philadelphia where i'm located it's snowing in 25 yeah i i don't that's why i don't live there to be honest but here it is cold it's it's cold i'm going to tell you the uh, next couple days weather because i'm i'm curious myself <laughs> so today the high was 65 but the right now it's for low 40s and that's where it's going to kind of remain the rest of the week uh some low 50s but so right now we get a winter but it's not freezing cold but it does have some chilly days i have seen it snow here but it is nothing like new england nothing like pennsylvania absolutely not absolutely es not especially new england boston is brutal in the winter i remember so much snow when i was a kid right. and like when i was in college and we lived in somerville in boston you just you'd have like four to five months of like grueling coldness and snow tell us about growing up in massachusetts i loved it but 
I also realize you can't get any other perspective, right? You only can grow up as you. So like, I probably would have loved some other growing up experience as well, but I did really like Massachusetts. I love it. It's still where I say that I'm from. I'm absolutely a, a mass hole. So I don't know. It's a, it's a place where I, I claim as my origin state, you know, I was born in Pennsylvania actually, but uh, uh, where in Pennsylvania? Uh, close to York. I think it was Jacobus. That's probably not where I was born, but that's where my parents lived. Ah, nice. We're from just outside of Philly. So PA represent. Yep. Yeah. My, we always would visit my grandparents. Um, and they lived, uh, in Glen Rock, also kind of outside of York. So Southern central Pennsylvania. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I identify as a Massachusetts person. I certainly feel like I was not made in Southern California or Los Angeles, and I was not made in New Orleans, you know, or Louisiana. I'm not, but I can claim that I am now a Louisiana resident and in person, but I was made in Massachusetts for sure. <laughs> Understood. Yeah, like I live in Brooklyn now, but I don't say I'm from New York. I say, well, I was born outside of Philly and then raised in Philly and then moved to New York. That way no one gets mad. I'm not claiming to be from Philly. I'm from outside Philly, and I'm not claiming to be from New York. Yeah, I certainly can't claim New Orleans or Louisiana. Like I, I can't do it, and people would not let me do it, you know? So <laughs> it's not acceptable. People, people take that very personally from Philadelphia, because I've said that before Like when I've been on vacation, just to make it easier in terms of conversation. I'm like, where are you guys from? Oh, uh, Philadelphia. Oh, really? What neighborhood? Uh, yeah yeah salem they're like that's not philly i'm like i know it's like five minutes from philly but okay yeah no i'm not from philadelphia sorry right (laughs) it's very close it's the nearest landmark city come on precisely (laughs) but they lose it people from philly lose it when you say that i feel like that's kind of particular that's everywhere because people have this pride in like knowing neighborhoods of where they live or where they have lived or where they've been. And, and so they, I don't know, they're curious about where you came from in that place. And then we'll call you out if you're just outside of it. <laughs> <laughs> so where in Massachusetts did you grow up, Travis? I grew up in Andover, which is 20 miles north of Boston. Um, so it's, you know, northeastern Massachusetts and it's close to New Hampshire, but yeah, very, very rural. I think there was, at the time I was in high school, there was 30 some odd thousand people in Andover. And uh, Aaron and Andrew also grew up there. And John, our first drummer. Oh, nice. Were you always interested in music? Uh, I would say yes, you know, because some of the earliest memories I have are, you know, like hearing songs on top 40 radio or or oldies radio or piano lessons uh things like that so yeah i think early on it was an interesting thing to me so you took piano lessons when you were young yeah six to age six to like 11 you know but then piano wasn't cool anymore so it turns out i was wrong piano is cool but i had to learn that the hard way by quitting (laughs) Yeah, like now I'm like, man, if I would have just played piano my whole life instead of guitar, that would be way cooler. Yeah, yeah, man, I wish I had like picked up the drums, but that's all right. That's my looking back regret. Well, I have tons of them, but we don't need to get into that now, do we? Not yet, anyway. Yeah, true. <laughs> Save it for later. So when did you pick up guitar? Well, after piano, I think I went to bass 
for a little bit because I thought the bass was fun. And I still do. I love playing bass. It's fun. I enjoy it. But uh, uh, then that didn't last very long with lessons, at least. And then there was a... I remember doing some sort of a classical guitar, and that just wasn't really up my alley, but it was it was cool. I I was impressed by it, um, and then I somehow got my hands on an electric guitar, and I never took lessons on it. But that was the end, the beginning of the end. So, Travis, tell us about discovering punk rock, hardcore, whatever it was, the underground. What was your entry point? I would say there are two things here. There's two pivotal crucial things that happened one was a radio station called wfnx which was an alternative radio station from boston and they played things like elvis costello in the cars and uh, screaming trees and pixies and things that you weren't hearing on top 40 radio and that exposed me to a lot of things. I don't know how I would have heard them or found out about their presence. I'm sure I would have later in life, but it was nice as a teenager to dial in WFNX and know you're going to hear something interesting and unique that was not top 40 radio. And that, and uh, I really appreciated that. The second major thing was we happened to live in the Merrimack Valley and something was in that water because Converge, two of those guys also went to Andover High School and Kurt Ballou, who's the guitar player of Converge, just he was a man who created so much music that he would start side project and pull kids who are not kids, but like uh, his semi peers, we were a couple years younger, but he would pull us into his side project bands. And so you, he would show you weird time signatures and other music that you hadn't heard about. And he introduced us to hardcore. And then on top of that, there's, you know, just a few years after, or like a year after Piebald started, Caven started in Haverhill, which is just, you know, a couple towns north of Andover. And so the Converge Caven Piebald family. I think made Merrimack Valley really special and things spawned from that. And I got introduced to a lot of unique, heavier music because of Kurt and that experience. And it ruled. Yeah. It must've been really something to come up through there because that, that area and all these bands obviously have come up on the show multiple times. And you piebald, didn't you play Caven's first show? Yes, we did. Uh, I can't remember now where it was, but yeah, absolutely. And I think that we screen printed Caven's first shirts, much like our own, in Aaron's like basement at his parents' house. Wow, that's like you guys are part of history. We are at least part of each other's history, and know that we, you know, contributed something that we didn't even know was that special at the time, which is special to. New England and Massachusetts music. It's awesome. It's flattering. Yeah, I love hearing about this stuff because forget about classic rock or, I don't know, punk rock in England or whatever. Like this, you, those bands, that time, that's my thing. That's what I want to hear about. That's what I want to read about, you know? It really was special. And I, I know it was also my age and almost having a an elder like Kurt who looking back on it, he wasn't that much older, but he took us under his wing and kind of showed us things. And, you know, 
would tell us of shows to go to and just kind of really opened things up for us or I think each of us in different ways. And it was, yeah, there were, it was a magical time. It really was. So tell us about how Piebald came together. So Aaron and I first met from skateboarding and we were sort of opposites and didn't really get along at first, but then I don't, something happened where opposites attract much like the Paula Abdul song. <laughs> Uh, it just seemed like, oh, I do like this guy's wackiness. Maybe it's because we were not like each other. But he that's when I was playing some bass, too. And he and I got together with a guy named Todd Collins and started playing and then kind of got more into our friendship with Kurt and, and being introduced to hardcore and, you know, things like Fugazi and stuff like that. and. Kurt also sort of introduced us to John Sullivan through his side projects. So we started playing with John and we knew Andy's sister, Leah, because she went to Andover High School. Andy went to St. John's Prep, which was a Catholic school. So he didn't go to the same high school as Aaron and I or and John, but he got into the fold via his sister. So the beginnings of Piebald in, you know, 1994, that was how it worked we all would practice at john's parents house in the basement and it was myself aaron who was a grade younger than me andrew was a grade younger than me in a different school and john who was a grade older than me at andover high so we all you know lived fairly close together and it was you know as organic as it could get (laughs) absolutely and the band back then it had more of a hardcore screamo yeah absolutely type sound yeah, when we started, it was absolutely more in the in the what our peers were doing the the converge route, and I remember loving that band Heroin from San Diego and Mohinder and and weird, really heavy stuff that formed the first uh, I don't know incarnation of piebald music. But quickly, we found Sunny Day Real Estate and Weezer, and it rocked our uh, proverbial socks off. And then we felt like there was you could still be angry, but play more melodic music. So when the band began to shift in sound, did you find any resistance from folks? Oh yeah, but yes. And people still are like play watch or flow or you know, play whatever, something from that area era and I I again, I have I try to have the mindset at all times like I'm appreciative that someone likes anything that I've made, you know, like that is so cool. So I have to appreciate it in that way. Uh but I definitely don't think that's like our finest work. And I do get why people love it. Maybe it was a time and a place and maybe they really think that was the best piebald material. But I found that just by screaming alone, it kind of got redundant and I felt like you could do more by singing. And that also changed the music because if you're writing such sort of discordant music, it goes more with discordant vocals and so I think they all kind of changed at once. And like I said, I just remember having that Sunny Day first cassette on repeat in my 1983 Saab for like three months. And also Weezer, the Blue Album, and Pinkerton. Both they just, it just was like, oh, heavy music can also sound like this. Was uh, Weezer, the Blue Album, that comes up a lot in discussions around the scene. Was that a big album in the scene? Because it came out when I was in... I don't know, fourth grade or something. So to me, it was just this cool band on the radio. But how did it fit in like in various scenes? I feel 
like it was i don't know i i think it fit in everywhere i feel like it got kind of it became popular and mainstream very quickly but i do remember i mean the first time i heard the blue album i i was like these guitars sound so huge and these drums sound huge and these songs is so catchy and they sing so well but it's also i don't know I, it was i guess just something aligned for it but i feel like it was popular kind of everywhere is sort of popular with top 40 style people or jocks or whatever and kind of the punks could latch onto it because it was weird and a little bit heavier and i don't know it, it was catchy enough maybe even for other folks who normally wouldn't listen to that or weird enough or quirky enough i don't know it just it seemed to connect with people both the first records at least there's a lot of hits <laughs> yeah. a lot of hits on that first one <laughs> that makes sense because Early in my hardcore days, you know, Pinkerton was going around a lot, and that was that was an accepted album. So I was listening to that one a lot. Yeah, that, they kind of had this, you know. See how you know Jawbreaker is not really a hardcore band yet. Every hardcore kid likes Jawbreaker, right? Weezer isn't a punk band, but alternative kids can like Weezer, even if it's popular. They're just an accepted band. Yes. Not anymore, but I didn't say that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, the first three are good, at least. Yeah, some people don't even have three good songs. <laughs> good point. Hey, we don't have three good albums. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about when... All right, so Piebald, we transition from a more hardcore sound to more of the sound we know now. Tell us about playing shows at that time. Tell us about when things kind of started to pick up and solidify when did you notice it i feel like i really noticed it after friends but we did tour quite a bit after venetian blinds came out and and even rock revolution we were touring pretty extensively even at that time but after friends came out we played like 300 shows in a year and that was the time where i i think all of us thought oh this is turning into something a little more real a little more i I hate i don't want to say like it's a job but it's like we we're doing this more than we're doing our regular lives this is our regular life now yeah i remember you guys all over the place my friend booked you at the kill time in philly for a show i saw you there uh you played this epic show in philly with saves the day and i think newfound glory yep that sounds right that was absolutely a tour we were on yes that trio of bands. Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, that was a magical time. Uh, I like, I've said that a lot in this interview so far, so I'll try to stop saying that was a magical time. <laughs> that tour must have been something, huh? It was amazing. I was looking through Polaroids because friends, we're the friends we have, uh, turns 20 in February, and that is wild to me, but we're trying to collect things from that time, but I also found Polaroids from that Saves the Day newfound glory tour and it's uh, amazing how young we all look obviously it's you know i think that was 99 i might be wrong but that sounds about right to me 99 2000 yep uh so that was we're we're closer to 25 years ago than we are to 20 years ago how old were you at that time uh 22 
So it must have been a great time. You're 22 years old. You're playing these great shows. Are you touring nationally at that point? Yeah, we had toured quite a bit already. You know, I remember the first East Coast tour we did with Cave In. Then the following summer, we did a U.S. tour with Jesuit. And then I want to say the following summer was when we went out with J. June. And then from there, it wasn't just summers. It was like we were just, you know, tour whenever we could have jobs that sort of let us off the hook or at some point in there we didn't have jobs we were just musicking which was fantastic as well but uh yeah so speaking of touring talk about the tour bus now i've heard that the tour bus was a central figure with the band and you guys have even written songs about it yes uh his name was melvin and he was one of those uh you know, he's a literal school bus, but the short bus with the taller ceiling. So I don't remember why we named him Melvin, but he was painted like a school bus. We did one tour where we had all the regular school bus seats in there. And then we realized this is not very comfortable. And we pulled things out, put a bench seat in there that folded down into like where you could sleep. We built a loft the gear went in the back under the loft. And then this was probably the most impressive part. We put a hammock in and Aaron drilled it into one end of the ceiling and the other end of the ceiling. And we clipped it in the middle, but when you weren't moving, it it was better, but you could just pull it down and be in the middle aisle on a hammock. It's pretty magical. Oh, magical. (laughs) So someone could be driving and someone else could just be asleep in a hammock. Yes, but the hammock definitely this I do remember this. The hammock was much better when you weren't driving. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I, I see why that worked out that yeah. way. So talk about the shows and touring at that time. Did you find acceptance with I mean you're touring with Jesuit and Caven. Did you did you have tough crowds? Not at that time, but that's when we were kind of bridging the gap between being a more hardcore style band and being a more melodic whatever we turned into you know it's like a we were in that middle section so to play with cave-in was totally normal plus that's how hardcore community was like that's you have shows or bands that kind of didn't always fit the hardcore mold but were liked by hardcore kids and so it seemed to be a time where that crossover of fans and and a show like that was possible you know, and then and then it eventually, I think, changed where we were touring with the Saves the Days, the Hot Rod Circuits, the Newfound Glories, uh, the Thursdays. You know, and it. But I do remember there would be very diverse shows in Boston and the suburbs in the mid and late '90s. Yeah, I mean, back then you could see a ska band with a hardcore band with a grind band with an emo band on a bill, and it did. You know, it was fine. Absolutely, hundred percent. I think we need to get back to that because then I'd be able to check out more bands in one spot and it would be very convenient for me. Yeah, well, I think maybe you have to kind of set up some sort of law or something and see if you know any politicians to try and get that into like, like if you have a show in Philly or the surrounding area, oh, you're in New York. In New York or the surrounding area, you need to make sure that the diverse nature of the show is up to Keith's standards. (laughs) I think a lot of the the diversity we saw in shows growing up was just because 
everybody was friends. It seemed like one big, huge community of people. And it was like, oh, so-and-so just started a band. Cool, put them on the bill. Like, yes, it, there, was, there was definitely that that sort of camaraderie. And, and a normal hardcore show wasn't all the same sounding bands. It would be often eight bands, which is, you know, a little too many, but we didn't know what we were doing. That sounded, you know, two sounded the same. And then three other ones sounded different. And then there was the weird oddball band that you were like how did they get on here this is awesome and weird and like i don't know it's just a time where it seemed like that was all accepted under the guise of hardcore and it was beautiful and going to a show in your area back in the day must have been wild i mean was there ever a show where like jesuit and piebald and converge and cave-in and isis all played together I bet that happened. I don't have a specific date for you, but I bet something of that nature. I bet, what did you, did you list five bands, including us? I bet four of those five bands are on some bill. That happened. That's amazing. Yeah, it was a, it was a cool time. I always liked those crowds mixing until it was like, there was a couple bands I remember specifically in Philly where a couple guys that were in heavier bands started like a more melodic kind of pop punk band. And then people that were fans of that would come out to see them and not know what they were getting into and walk straight into a real like Philadelphia kind of people are just moshing hard as fuck. And it's like there's people that are like, oh, I came here from in the suburbs and I'm just going to hang out with my friends and enjoy myself. And now my nose is split open and I have to find a ride home. Right. Yeah, I feel like there was a, probably some of that in Boston. Uh, we had the FSU presence that I remember was a little bit horrifying for us for a while there. But I feel like those things just sort of either wore themselves out or stopped becoming a problem right like did we just did they did that stuff just sort of lessen did that did it go away or did we did the scene scene seems to to like progress and grow a little bit and it just ditched that stuff i'm not sure but it seemed to have left at a certain it was there and it seemed prominent for a little while and then just kind of I don't know, dispersed as a concept. It does seem better now. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm not, it's, I'm, I can't ever bring myself back to 25 or 22 and experience those things. And I, I'm sure they happen somewhere now, but I don't know about them. You know, did you ever have wild moshing at a piebald show and you had to be like, guys, tone it down? Uh, yeah. That's happened before. Often, though, it's more like, you know, you see somebody is physically either in pain or uh, getting maybe a little bit too much of a rub down by another person where you got to like, hey, cool it, you know. But yeah, there's been those moments. Tell us about the Red Barn. It was a wonderful venue in North Andover. A lot of great shows happened there. I don't really know what it was. It was legitimately a red barn, but there was one big open room. And then in the back, there was almost like a kitchen. So I don't know if it was like, there there was also not much around it. There weren't any houses around. It was like, I I don't quite understand what this was. Maybe this used to be a camp 
area or something like that or people use it for because there was definitely a lot of outdoor space near that venue but so you'd put all your gear in the kitchen area there was a tiny little stage right outside of that area and then just a big boxy room but Marilyn, who ran a skate shop was this older i only say that because when you're young and you're trying to convince someone to have a show somewhere it's not as easy as if you're like you know in your 40s or 50s and going to talk to somebody being like hey i want to make this these all ages shows happen for these kids so i think that's probably how what she did somehow and maybe new people but she was able to sort of be i don't know in a way a chaperone i guess and somehow made shows like that happen they'd be all ages all ages you couldn't have alcohol there obviously but it would you know the kids of the scene would book touring bands and bring them into the red barn Marilyn would facilitate it we'd pick a date you know and you just make shows happen there and i i want to say there was a couple year period where there was hundreds of shows that happened there that were (laughs) amazing did you get some like big time acts through there I would not say they were ever big time acts, but there were some wonderful shows that, you know, like I remember seeing Walleye there. You remember that New Jersey band? And I thought, how cool that I'm seeing Walleye in the Red Barn. But is that a big time act? I don't really think so. It was more like it supported the hardcore community of bands who needed a fairly small all ages venue to play that had a hardcore slash punk crowd attached to it yeah and i mean like big time to you because we had a similar things going on just outside of philadelphia so bands would play philly and then our friends would book these local venues that sound like what you're describing so they'd go through philly and then all these bands would come through bucks county we'd see poison the well we'd see nora we'd see torn apart we'd see converge everybody everybody came through Yep, that was probably a kind of a thing. If you if someone has the access to a community center style place at that time, you know, not not only were a lot of us just not drinking because of our philosophical beliefs, but like we were too young anyway. So it's not, you know, like we just needed a place to be loud and annoying. And those places provided that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I wonder, I I hope, I guess the all-ages venues are still happening out there somewhere. I'm not privy to it anymore because I turned 40 this week, but it's got to still be happening. There's still newer bands. Uh, There is a place actually in Los Angeles called The Smell, and they are always all-ages. I like that. I think that's important. It is cool. I, I can't think of one here in New Orleans. I'm sure there is one, but this is almost like too much of a drinking uh debauchery city that i don't see that really happening here yeah i really wanted to visit new orleans but now that uh i don't drink anymore i'm thinking well uh, maybe i can skip it it's still beautiful to see there is some really cool architecture it's just a unique city there's delicious food the music scene is cool and weird all at once but yeah part of the fun here is related to drinking in nightlife. Yes. Absolutely. So, Piebald is playing. We're touring nationally. Things are picking up. Yes? Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so late late 90s and then we, you know, took a little hiatus there in 2000 and 2001 and then came back with the original lineup and I had a 
I've been writing a lot of songs at that time. And uh, that's when We Are the Only Friends We Have was sort of born and created. And then we recorded that in September of September, October of 2001. And it came out in February of 2002. And then I feel like after that, it was the, the next year and a half was a, a fiery inferno of shows and being everywhere in the United States and Europe. Tell us about that time. Was that the biggest crowds and the biggest reaction the bands had seen so far? Yeah. I, yeah. At that, that point, yeah, that was the biggest. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to say and lucky to say that I think some of the 2016 reunion shows that we did at first when we got back together were uh, more amazing than I ever could have imagined and that every, anything that ever came before it. But at that time, yeah, 2002 into 2003 was, you, you could feel the excitement about friends and what we were doing. I feel like audiences were into it. It was a good time. Did you ever end up any, on any random shows with any super huge acts? I mean, the biggest I'm thinking is Andrew WK. So, uh, no, I guess not super huge acts. We've never, I guess, broken that sort of barrier, it seems, you know? We, yeah. we, we've, we're still in the, uh, the like, we're, we're going to still tour probably with the Newfound Glories and the Thursdays and the bands of that nature. Uh, I, I don't know that we've broken through to like being on tour with say, are the Foo Fighters ever going to take us on tour? I highly doubt it. You know, like a, is U2 going to take us on tour? Definitely not. They should. They won't. <laughs> they won't. Let's dare them to. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, it's, uh, we never really got to quite that level, but it was still, incredible to be playing on a tour with say Glassjaw and Juliana theory. And you're like, Holy cow. I know, I know that Glassjaw has some rapidly obsessive fans, but there are people in here that are digging us and that's awesome. You know? And then you'd go on, I remember doing a tour with, uh, Hey Mercedes. And that one was one where I was kind of losing my voice at that time. But I remember thinking what we're doing is really impacting people we would play shows and the audience was just going crazy it was really that was cool they, people were were hearing friends and they were getting into it and they liked what they heard i guess did piebald ever try to go major i mean you guys have incredible pop sensibilities and hooks and and oh, all stop. that stuff no 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 <laughs> um i okay i think i would phrase it like this we never tried to do it and quite honestly, we sucked at that stuff. Uh, but I do remember a few moments of being courted uh, by a few majors. One was, oh man, I can't remember. But Sinji Suzuki, I remember meeting him. I hope if he's out there, I would love to say hi to Sinji Suzuki. But I cannot remember what label he was working for. But it was a bigger one, and he was courting us for a minute. And then there was a few others, but it wasn't. It didn't last very long. We didn't know what to do. We didn't want anybody to tell us how to make a record, or excuse me, I didn't want anybody to tell us how to make a record. And I guess we kind of thought we could do things on our own a little more. But turns out maybe that step. I can't alter history, but I'm curious to see what would have happened had we 
I think Senji Suzuki was at Universal. Yes, I came back full circle and remembered that. <laughs> but uh, Piebald can have no other path. But I'm always curious what would have happened if we had gone down the major label route. So the offers were there. You just didn't do it. There were some. And I wouldn't call them offers. There were discussions. There was not like, hey, here's an offer with like a piece of paper. Here's the contract if you want to sign it. It was like, oh, we can't, we're going to come out and see you in New York. And we'd like to take you guys out to dinner and, and talk after that. And so the next time you're in New York, you go meet up with him. And at that time, it would have been probably only like two months later that we would have been there because we were touring so much. And so then you go and you talk to him a little and they try to present you with an idea and you don't know what you're doing because you're a kid and you just wanted to make music because it was fun. But you also realize that you would love to make music and be making money. So you're trying to figure out all these things. And you also don't want somebody to tell you how to mix music in general because I, I, I find that weird to me because it's not why anybody ever starts playing music you play because it it doesn't tell you what to do you get to be creative in the in music i don't know but yeah i think we just didn't really know how to handle it or what the right move was at that time and i don't know if we made a mistake but i uh, looking back on it i do wish sometimes i could have seen what another path would have led to yeah it's but you made the decision that you didn't want to do it, which I respect because you're like, hey, you know, we're, there's these discussions, but it's not something we're interested in. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It, it, I, and I don't think it wasn't that we weren't interested. We just didn't know how to, how to uh, navigate it or uh, comprehend it even amongst ourselves what it meant exactly. You know, I don't know. It was beyond our capabilities as a small town punk band. And so no, it never really worked out. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's like you almost couldn't even comprehend it. Yeah, I think that was probably part of the difficulty in making a decision. Plus, Piebald is uh, disgustingly democratic, so it takes us a long time to make decisions, you know? <laughs> it's hard to... Because to, I, I can't really move forward if you can tell that the popular opinion is one that doesn't want to move forward with a certain idea you know mm -hmm. like if you're not all on board or most of you at least with the other population at least seeing why you, we would take that stance like there's not what's the point you're supposed to be like a like a gang like a a crew like you you want to be doing these things together because you're going to believe in it more so that's why we've gone this route, but it just takes us forever to make decisions. <laughs> Is it still like that, too? Yes, we just have a lot less decisions to make. What's the last hard decision you all had to make together? I don't know. I guess it was uh, just some sort of logistical thing for the last set of shows we did right before Christmas. So probably not, not super major, just something that uh, we had to discuss and all figure out and work as a team to get everything done on time. Yeah, it's funny how like the older you get, the harder it gets to plan things. It's it's really difficult, and you you realize if 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 someone is gonna really run a band, it's kind of like a lot of work because and and I say that because of this. 
there's so if in our case, right, you go on tour and we played a week, we played a week of shows before uh, the holidays. And so there's things like van rental, uh, where your hotel is going to be. You need to make merch and that's got to happen a couple weeks to months before this starts. So you need designs. And then if you're doing social media, you kind of got to make sure that keeps going and you have content for that. So people are paying attention and they know you're going to tour. There's really things to take care of. You need to advance the shows. There's stuff to take care of all the time. There's a lot of little details that take effort and, and time. How much of that do you guys have to do yourselves? Do you have management who helps book anything or set up any of that stuff? We have a booking agent that we've had for a very long time. His name is Matt Galley. He is God sent, but he still books us. But our main person like doing social media right now is our, what I would call our tour manager. His name is Dana um, because everyone sort of has full-time jobs and can't focus on things specifically. But like in this past tour, Andy did all the merch work. All of us sort of worked out hotel ideas, but Dana would book the actual hotel. Dana got the van for us. He's been doing social media. So Dana is kind of our go-to piebald liaison these days who is doing a lot of the dirty work. It's nice to have help, right? Because I've done it both ways where I do everything myself and where I have a little help. And it's nice to have a little help. It's nice to have a lot of help, but it's, it's equally nice to have a little help. So the band is going strong until around 2007, yes? Yes, 2007. I think we played our last official, last official in quotes, shows in 2008, but we decided to, to call it in 2007. Why? Just because everybody's life had... Uh, the, the importance of piebald was shrinking in everyone's life. That's how I'll say it. It was, it was on the back burner of everyone's mindsets instead of the thing we were trying to push and, and grow together as a unit. You know, it, it was kind of like we were dragging ourselves along and it was not, it was becoming a chore. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we get older, priorities change, right? Yep. Yeah. Things change. People, want to not uh, have no money and go on tour five months of the year. And people want to maybe have a child like everyone else in, in Piebald has a child now. And some of them are 10, you know, and, 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 and careers are going to say you can't tour six months of the year. And also, you know, I think we had the, I wouldn't say it was a devastating blow, but when we put out all ears, all eyes all the time, I think, we didn't anticipate how little of an of a response it would get. You know, like it just seemed like after Friends, we were kind of riding this wave, and then we put out All Ears, All Eyes all the time, and it was just kind of like silence. Or people were almost like, mm, this isn't what I wanted them to do. And that's okay, because we made the album we wanted to at the time. But I definitely think that aided in you know, the end being three years after that. Have you seen a better response to that album over the years? I know sometimes it just takes people a long time to come around on a piece of music if it's not what they expected. Um, I guess a little, yes. But it still feels like we and I almost avoid it, you know? Yeah. We play as few songs as possible from it. 
we probably ever know a total of three songs on that record at any time. It's like, I don't know. It's weird. I don't, I sadly wished we looked upon that record with more fond memories. So even today, you still don't look upon it with the most fond memories? No, I don't. And is it just because of the response, or did you wish like maybe you did something different when you guys were writing it? I think it's both. And maybe not in the writing, but maybe in the rec- like how we went about the recording. I think we were just a little too, our minds were a little too fanciful, thinking we could do all sorts of weird, or what we thought was weird studio stuff, instead of focusing on the song, maybe. I don't know. I don't know where I, where we went wrong exactly and maybe someone will tell me that we didn't but in my personal opinion yes people's reaction to it certainly was a not ideal thing but then also i just feel like i don't know we didn't we didn't maybe make the best record we could have so what did you do once the band was over initially i don't know i bartended and then started other projects like T.S. in the Past Haunts with my friends Ben and Heather. That was my next musical thing. But yeah, I just worked and hung out in Los Angeles for a while. Did you ever at any time want to get out of music and think, hey, I'm going to become an accountant or something? No, neither of those are really right. Because like, I never fully think I'm going to get out of music. I think at some point I had one of those, oh, I'm never going to play music again. But I realized that's that's stupid like no matter what my life is going to have some involvement in music and then i'm never going to be an accountant i worked in data entry um for tufts health plans or something and i legitimately took a piece of paper and made sure it matched what was on the computer i will not work in an office job like that i just can't do it i don't blame you I've done those menial entry-level office jobs, and uh, they really suck the life out of you. I'm not. Yeah, I don't even want to enter buildings like that. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. So the band ended up getting back together around 2010, yes? Yeah, we played some reunion shows there. Let me see. I think we played a West Coast and East Coast bamboozle, and then we went to Europe. But that wasn't really a reformation. That was like a reunion. But now I would say we were a reformed band. At what point did you become reformed? And was it weird? Was there any discussions that you had to work through or anything like that? Yeah, I do think there was discussions we had to work through. I feel like in 2016, when we played those reunion shows, we weren't quite sure what was going to happen. But then since then, 2017, 2018, even 2019, 20, and 21, we played shows in all of those. That's a pretty working working band but i think the real conversation when you're a band is like are you going to make new music and i think that took me a very long time to come around to and that's part of why we did the christmas ep first because they don't have to be a piebald song per se it's just got to be a holiday song so it maybe took a little bit of the um the stress of writing a new piebald song off of it and I think that did help because we were able to like get back in a room again and still be writing new songs, but not have the, is this going to work on an album? How do we feel about it? Do we like it? It's like, no, let's have a fun time and, and just bash out three songs about weird holiday stuff. And then I think it did open a door. It, it, it 
you know, made us be like, oh, this is really fun. We could, we should try to make, maybe write some new songs. And I think that was a conversation we all had to have. And maybe those guys wanted to bend me to do it more than I wanted to at first, but I've certainly come around and we've been writing songs. So it's cool. So you are working on new music now. Yes. I do not know what will happen with said music and we've made some recordings, but I think we're waiting to write. I, I want us to have so many songs that it's look we have two albums almost that way we make sure we're putting out whatever the best release is with our finest moments you know exactly and i'm happy to hear that you are working on new music because look it's it's difficult to be an artist whatever it is that you're working on you know if you're not happy with what you did or if you think that people aren't happy with what you did i like me i'm incredibly sensitive so if I put out a podcast and everyone was like, hey, this fucking sucks, I I would be hesitant to record another one the next week. Yes. Yeah. It, it kind of it takes you down a level, especially if you've come from the podcast before that where everyone was like, that was so sick. <laughs> you know, then you're like extra let down because you're like, I thought it was really thought it was good. But apparently other people weren't feeling the same way I did. Yeah. And so back to the Weezer comparison. I mean, I wasn't paying attention when pinkerton came out but rivers cuomo says that it was not well received and we all know that story where he disappeared and they didn't write an, uh, an album for a number of years but then eventually people came around and i think that album has gone platinum since yeah and i'm, I'm gonna say i remember thinking maybe it wasn't i remember thinking it sounded so good and i thought the songs were awesome i i, I didn't know why people were down on it because I, after that, to me, I, I don't know. I guess uh, you could take critique in so many ways, and uh, it's weird what some people like and what some people don't like. You just never mystery. know how it's going to shake out. Yeah, at all. I was going to say I think like one of the things with the follow up to the blue album, it, the blue album hit really hard when I was in like like fifth or sixth grade. I think people were mad that it wasn't the blue album part two if that makes sense. Like they, they wanted that same kind of like heavy sound. Like, like I keep thinking back to my one friend was really like, love that song. My name is Jonas. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I love that they mix that acoustic part. And then the heavy part comes in. It sounds so like boisterous and bombastic. It's so heavy. And it's like, when you hear Pinkerton, you don't get as much of that. And I think that's what people expected. And when they didn't hear it, they were like, never mind. What's next? Yeah. Yeah, they should have put out the, I mean, maybe not should have, but they maybe put a, put the green album out before Pinkerton. You can't redo. You cannot. Exactly. And I th in, in terms of art and artists and all that stuff, you know who I think of a, a lot of times? Robin Williams. Now, I think my point is you have to just keep doing what you're doing and not let people get you down, which I know is impossible in some cases. But if you look at all the movies Robin Williams has done, most of them are horrible or you haven't heard of them. You know, like one day I went on his IMDb and I was like, he's done this many movies. But you, you yeah. think of like the five best ones. <clears throat> but that's that's over spans of decades. Right. That's true. Yeah. He did so much work that the stuff that's not that great kind of falls through the cracks and you're remembered for the fact that you just made so much and some of it was really good for sure because that's like one of those things those things that you know 
the speech from Dead Poet Society or that uh, that scene in Goodwill Hunting where he's sitting Dude, on the bench, you know. He like kills that. it in Hook. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. There's another. He's so good. There's another movie that he was in. He plays a homeless man. It's called The Fisher King. Yeah, I remember that. I haven't seen that in a long time, but I remember that one. Or like Mrs. Doubtfire. Classic. Oh God. That's a great movie. It was a run by fruiting. <laughs> <laughs> so Travis, Piebald played <laughs> Furnace Fest this past September. Yes, that's correct. Now, I caught you guys there. It was the first time I've seen you in many, many years. And I have to say, what a great set and what a great fest. Share some of your experience. Oh, I love that venue and that the Sloss Furnace. It was a, a real treat to get to walk around that day. Um, that was a great festival. The weather was beautiful. It was also like a time when you thought, oh, this COVID cloud is changing, which we sort of see is not exactly the truth but that's what we were i think everybody was feeling that positivity at that time um but yeah there were so many friends bands and so many people i wish we could have stayed more than just that one day but uh that was a really fun that was a really fun day cool venue did Pinebolt ever play any of the older furnace fests no this is our first yeah. at least in my memory it was <laughs> So it's possible there was another one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't remember every, <laughs> every... Someone could tell me, no, you played it in you know, 2000-whatever, and I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Yeah, the amount of shows Piebald has played, it would be impossible to remember all of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't. <laughs> so I heard you were once roommates with uh, Casey from Iodine Recordings. Yeah, I think he lived in our uh, Bl Blaine Street house, or maybe it was after that. The Empire Street apartments. Give us the scoop on him. Was he a annoying roommate? Did he ever bother you? No, not at all. I feel like he kind of was like under the radar a little bit. You just didn't see him? No, I mean, we saw him, but it wasn't like Kurt who had a, you know, a basement, a studio in the basement. So you knew when he was there, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but like he just flew under the radar a little more, I guess. But yeah, Casey's a great guy. Absolutely. Oh, wait, there's another question I want to ask. Now, all of the older, more hardcore-influenced piebald material, would you ever play any of that again? I'm not going to say never, but I don't think it's going to be on the top of our list of priorities. That makes sense. When is the last time you played any of that stuff? Was it like when it was out, or did you ever do like a one-off, hey, here's our older stuff show? No, we haven't done a one-off show like that. Maybe we will for the, you know, birthdays of certain albums, but I don't think like we do it for Sometimes Friends Fight, which is probably what some people really want to hear. But I don't know. I remember when we were in the van, actually around Christmas, we played that song Vacuum, which is kind of almost an instrumental from the Sometimes Friends Fight record. And uh, we were like, we should play this, but... That's all it ever gets to, and we never actually play those songs, but we say things like that. <laughs> okay, so what's coming up? Tell us what's coming up. We're working on new music, right? Yeah, and we're going to play the fest in Florida in October, but that's right now all we got on the, on the docket this year. I'm getting married. That's cool for me. When are you getting married? October 8th. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you very much.
Is it going to be a big wedding? Uh, not huge, but it'll be big. Carrie and I both have really big families. So I think she was adding, she's not here now, but uh, she was adding up just the family guests, and that's 96 people. Oh, yeah. And I like my friends more than my family. Did I say that out loud? I did. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, though. No, None of my family will listen to this. But Me either. Yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> I can say things like that. But, yeah, we have both have big families. It's a little tricky, but we're going to make it happen. Well, that's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Any plans for kids? Hmm? Hmm? No. We're, uh, she, on like our first or second date, I overheard her say to somebody, I don't want to have kids. And I remember tapping her on the shoulder and being like, I just heard what you said and you just got so much hotter. Like it was <laughs> like, this is perfect. Because sometimes, especially at this age, if you want children, you got to get going. You know, right. like you're not waiting around. So I was happy to hear that she wasn't interested in that because I am not either. So that's also like a big uniting or dividing uh, decision right there. So when you're not involved with piebald and music and various projects what are some things you enjoy doing let's see i mean i still i love listening to records reading um right now i'm in school and enjoying isn't maybe the right word but i'm appreciating all the learning i'm doing so that's kind of my current life bartending is my job but yeah i don't know riding my bike around new orleans is nice but it's a little cold tonight so i won't be doing that but yeah Music's music's the number one hobby. Either listening to it or just kicking around with a guitar. Nice. I actually I have a question. Mm-hmm. So uh first I'm gonna start off with a Punisher type thing. <laughs> oh boy. I'm ready. <laughs> so but so I, I've loved Pieball for a really long time and I married a girl who has absolutely no connection to music at all. Like she does not she music is background noise to her. She puts on music and she doesn't really listen to it. She doesn't pay attention to it. But <clears throat> when I was making mixed CDs for her when we were in college, she'd always say, hey, can you put those two punk rock songs that I really like? And I would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. What she meant was American Hearts and Grace Kelly with Wings. Huh. That's what she loved those songs. And one of the things she always asked is she knows all the words to Grace Kelly with Wings. But she's like, what? I don't understand. What's the connection between this woman looking great in a dress and a cactus? I don't, I don't understand it. <clears throat> well, I'm talking to that dude tonight. I'll, I'll ask him. I'll ask him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, don't, I think looking back on it, that's just a song about taking things for granted, and it was uh, snippets of connecting things that don't seem connected. Okay. So uh, my other question was, I know the word piebald, and this is embarrassing, but I listened to you guys for a long time before I found out piebald is an actual word. Did, yeah. Is that, <laughs> is that you guys, what was the origin of the name? Did you, how do you guys kind of come up with that? There was a book in high school that I was reading, and I believe it was called Frederick. I may be, might be wrong about that, but I think I'm right. But I just saw the word on the page, and I said to myself, I've never seen this word before. I don't know what it is. I'm going to look it up, and this is maybe a cool band name. And I looked it up, spotted of opposite colors. Okay, it's not really anything. It's not bad or good, but it just, when you wrote it, it looked nice. I don't know. The one name, band name, was kind of the thing then. It wasn't like you didn't call yourselves the piebald at that time. You were just piebald. But 
Uh, I don't know. The word was just a unique word that popped into our life and then became, became our band name. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. It's like eras of band names of like the singular name, the one with the article in the beginning of the, and then the sentence fragment band name era of upon breathing the wings or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do horse people ever get mad at you for confusing things? No, but I love that we blow up that feed. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I asked. Yeah, people think they're just going to get like snakes and horses and stuff. And then they see like a bunch of gross dudes and they're like, oh, man, what is this piebald? I don't want this. I'm a horse connoisseur. <laughs> so, yes, folks, we're going to check out the piebald discography, right? We love it. We need it. We want it. That's <laughs> number one. Uh, piebald is playing Fest. This coming October, we're going to go to that, right? Right, Travis? Yes, I'll be there. Yes, he will be there. And Piebald is working on new music. We don't know when we'll see it, but we are anticipating it. I believe that's that's a truth. I just don't I don't know what the format will be. I don't I don't know how it will happen, but I believe it will happen. Well, we're standing by, and Travis, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. You know, Tommy and myself. And many others out there really appreciate you and what you do and what the band does. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for uh, walking me through all this uh, digital age stuff. I think we got there. (laughs) We certainly did. Thank you. There you have it, folks. Travis Shettle. Excellent conversation. It was great hearing about Pieball. There was stuff I didn't know. And it was interesting when he talked about the response in albums from We Are the Only Friends We Have to All Ears, All Eyes All the Time. And just, you know, how he was candid about how people reacted to the album and his own feelings on it. I thought that was really interesting stuff. Yeah. And I, I like his mindset of like, I made an album that I like. So if anybody else likes it, that's good for them. And if they don't, it is what it is. Like, at least I did something I was happy with. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that they're writing music again. Because it, it, it kind of made me sad that, he, you know, he wasn't happy with the way things turned out and they haven't really written anything new since. And it sounds like they're getting back to that. And that really makes me happy because they're they're a great band. Yeah, you want to go out on a high note. You want to have something that, that you're like, you know what? This is a great end point. So I hope whatever comes out next and hopefully after that, is something they can really, like, you know, people will kind of sink their teeth into. Yeah. So thank you, Travis. That was great. And how are we doing, Tommy? Now, now, I turned 40 this past weekend, Tommy. Yes. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, something very beautiful and emotional happened. Tommy called me on FaceTime as I was leaving the house, getting on the subway, and I was like, what's going on? What happened? What happened? And then he texted me, and he's like, listen, call me back because the girls want to sing happy birthday to you. And I was like, oh my God. So I got to where I was going and I called him back and Tommy and his whole family sang happy birthday to me. And folks, I was, I, I'm, I'm getting weepy right now, even telling the story, Tommy. I was, I kind of got that feeling from you. <laughs> like, and I was, that's why I got off at the end. I was like, all right, man, well, I know you're on your way somewhere. So <laughs> have a good night. I don't want you to like, you know, feel upset on there, but it was like, uh, you know, we were talking about it at dinner and I was like, you know, tonight's Keith's birthday. 
And Ellie immediately was like, well, we're going to call him and sing happy birthday. It wasn't even like a, oh, can we? It was like, well, we'll call him. And I was like, okay, well, let me, let me text him and see what's going on. Let me try to figure this out. Like, but they were, they were like adamant, like, no, 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 no. It's your friend's birthday. We're calling them. You have, you have to sing happy. Who, who's going to sing happy birthday to him? I'm like, I don't know what his plans are for tonight. Maybe he's going to go somewhere and they're going to sing happy birthday to him there. And she's like, well, we'll, we'll do it too. Oh, it was, it was beautiful. I was like overwhelmed with emotion after I got off the phone with Tommy, wrote him a nice message. I was like, thank you so much. And then I was at my thing, right, Tommy? And I left the thing, and everybody's standing outside saying happy birthday to me. Aww. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was so embarrassed. And then we all went out to eat, and guess what happened there, Tommy? They sang happy birthday to you. <laughs> <laughs> Again, and they brought out cake, and it was just, listen, it was a, it was a great time. I, my birthday is a weird time. I'm in this self-fulfilling doom prophecy because... I don't know if I've talked about it on the show, but my older brother died in 1998, the day before my birthday. He died. I found him dead. He he was diabetic and had a seizure, and no one knew what happened. And it's a it's a sore spot in our family. It caused a lot of trauma. I think I had PTSD after it and was untreated, honestly, because there was just I just think back on it now and I'm like, geez, that was crazy. So. My birthday's a weird time. You know, I, it's kind of overshadowed by this thing. And I'm like, do I say something? Do I not say something? And then I don't say something and no one addresses it and I'm mad or or they do address it and it's not enough. It's this whole thing, Tommy. But this is the first year where I felt centered and happy and I just told people that it was happening and I didn't have very many expectations and nice things happened. I went out to a nice meal. I bought myself an ice cream cake and uh, Tommy I'm taking the ice cream cake out of the freezer and just eating it the whole, like eating it whole with a fork I'm not even like cutting a slice off and putting it on a plate I just I just pull the cake out and eat it with a fork so it doesn't look like a nice like Pac-Man like there's not like slices taken out of it and you like put it on a plate you're just it's turning into a mess <laughs> it's turning into a mess it I love that. like a nice it looks like a nice slices taken out but I was like ah eh, what the hell am I getting plates dirty for it's just me here <laughs> I love that yeah, but it, Tommy, it turned out to be a great weekend. Uh, I saw Robert Butcher again. We hung out in the park and fed squirrels. We it's funny we sit in Tompkins Square Park. It's like twenty degrees out, and we're just we're let's just like two old men sitting there feeding uh, pigeons and squirrels. That's a nice time to spend with somebody, though. I've actually I'll be honest with you, I've never done that before. I've never sat in a park and fed birds. What a try! Like I should do that one day. You have to get up here, and we have to hang out with him. That'd be really fun. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 gonna do it once this uh, new COVID variant settles down and it gets warmer. We're gonna get you up here, but uh, yeah. yeah. So great weekend. What's going on with you? Give me give me the scoop. Nothing with me. I've actually been really good. Oh, I, uh, cool thing. I had my interview today for my new position. Uh, my, you had the interview. I had my first round, so uh, I passed the first round. Uh, Thursday they are going to email me a video of another teacher teaching and my performance task over the weekend will be to uh, critique their teaching and basically mock up what my, my feedback would be like verbally. Like what would I say to them about, you know, what they can change in their classroom, what's going well and what, if they can change anything, um, how, what are the steps they need to take? Well, that sounds great. Yeah. So I have that coming up this weekend 
we just got over. I didn't. I actually missed it this time. Everybody got sick in the house, with the sole exception of uh, myself. I, I, I ducked it somehow. Uh, but wait, 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 wait. You're saying that there's more sick going around? Everybody had a cough. Everybody. Oh my god. Everybody had a cough. Actually, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday were absolutely awful because the baby was fine during the day. No fever. She really didn't have a cough. She really kind of had just like a slight runny nose. So we took her Sunday to walk in hours, got her COVID tested. She's totally fine. All she had was a uh, ear infection. So we got her on medicine. She started slowly getting better, but whenever she would lay down, she would start coughing. So she would sleep in like these two and three hour bursts. And like, you know, she sleeps like 12 hours a night. She goes to bed at seven o'clock at night. She wakes up at like six 30 or seven o'clock in the morning. Um, so it was a constant parade of Kelly and I just being like, Oh my God, she's up. Like just us getting up and trying to rock her back to sleep. Uh, a couple of the nights she ended up back in our bed where we were just like propping her up with pillows because the, the, the taller she sat up, the less she coughed. And I had not slept well Sunday, Monday or Tuesday night. And I felt literally, have I you felt- considered just like moving away? No, <laughs> like you mean like <laughs> you mean like running away from my family? <laughs> yeah, but but like just for a year until this whole sick thing calms down. <laughs> no, no. But what Kelly and I came up with, and this was actually like uh, we we literally stood in the kitchen and flipped a coin, and the idea being when the baby wakes up that night, uh, it will not be a tag team; it will be a singular person's duty. Um, you know, we have the whole basement set up as a bedroom, so. Um, whoever won the coin toss, uh, would go sleep in the bedroom when the baby woke up. So who won Kelly? (laughs) So (laughs) did you check that coin? Yeah, no, I checked it. I I actually selected the coin on part. Like I, I picked it out. I flipped it. She called it in the air. She won. So when the baby woke up and this is the funny part, the baby woke up and she only woke up once. And I did the like, like complete, complete, like, not what you're supposed to do thing, which is, you know, you're really supposed to rock her, get her back to sleep, like in her normal pattern. I literally just grabbed her, put her on my chest and went back to bed. Like nothing else happened. And she slept on my chest for like four hours. I woke up with this sweaty mess of a child, like breathing into my face. And I, the first thought I had when I woke up was, well, whatever she has, I have now, there's no way I'm avoiding this at this point. And, uh, I ended up not getting it. So I, I was really excited about that. Uh, work is going really well. Uh, my students just got back really great data from their last round of uh, testing. So uh, apparently I'm doing okay at what I do. And uh, everybody's back on the mend. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's back in school. No fevers, no medicine. Everybody's off antibiotics. And uh, I'm just looking forward to you know this weekend coming up and spending some time hanging out, cleaning the house, going to Costco, you know. Typical family, <laughs> typical family stuff. Yes, you, we we know how you feel about Costco. Now, Tommy, we got a a nice email from a listener. Are you ready for this? Yes, go. Okay, this is from Ryan. He says, "Hey, Keith and Tommy, I've been listening to you guys for over six months, and I've been meaning to write to you guys for a while now. I wanted to let you know how great the podcast is. I actually look forward to Monday mornings because of your show. You have great guests, and I'm stoked that you guys got partnered with Iodine." who I always was a big fan of prior to their recent revival. Since you guys speak so openly and honestly on the podcast, 
I figured I'd mention that you guys helped me out through some hard times over the last six months. My first child was born in late April, and by late June, I'd lost my job. I'd been with the company for over eight years and was let go in a pretty disgusting fashion. I struggled and still struggle with resentment over this, and I've struggled to find a job in the same industry that I love so much. And as a result, I was drinking more and gaining weight, all while caring for my newborn son. I've recently bounced back a little and wanted to thank you guys for what you're doing. I admire your honesty about your own personal struggles, as well as dealing with major shifts in your careers. Everything about the music and the podcast is great, but it's these personal touches that keep me, and I'm sure many other listeners, coming back. While I'm still looking for the right permanent job, you inspired me to focus on self-improvement. I'm working on my CAPM certification and chilling out with the drinking. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Ryan, thank you so much. This is great. First of all, thank you. Second of all, I'm blown away that I'm blown away and very happy that what we're doing is potentially helping someone. I love that because when I had nothing and nobody to talk to and at the lowest points, I would listen to Howard Stern and that kept me company. And I would listen to certain podcasts and that would keep me company. And Tommy, to imagine that we are now doing that for somebody else brings me endless joy. It's full circle. That's I love that. I love the fact that things that we've said on here are now helping people out that are actually listening to it. So Ryan, keep up the good work. We truly appreciate you. And on top of that, best of luck with your job search, man. You got this. I'm sure you'll be fine. Yeah. The next job is going to come along and stay focused with the CAPM. Uh, it's tough, but you can do it. You can get it. Shoot. If I could do it, anybody can. What's CAP? That's the project management? Yeah. CAPM. There's two project management certifications from PMI, CAPM and PMP. CAPM is like the same material, just a little less intensive. Okay. Yeah, but I just I just stepped off the cliff and went right for PMP because I was like, if I'm going to do it, let's go all the way, baby. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Now, oh, there was a startling revelation. I was talking to Tommy the other day, and I realized he was in another band after Audience <laughs> of One. Yeah. Tommy, what was the band? Uh, So we went by the name Van Damage, like Van Dam, but like Damage. Yes. And it was a girl I was dating at the time. Her name was Heidi. It was her younger brother, who's a really excellent musician. He's actually uh, current. He's a musician now. He's in a band called Parsons Field. Yeah. Uh, they were on. Uh, they were. Their song was featured on Walking Dead. Uh, it was myself, this kid named James Ruther, and another kid named Chris Efkowitz. And it what, was. What kind of band was it? Um, it sounded like grade, like uh, kind of like. Heavier, but more melodic heavy. How many shows did you play? Two. Do you have any recordings? I don't believe so, but I... Text- Are there recordings? There was a recording. Um, we had a four track that we hung two microphones in the room while we practiced one time just so we could hear what it sounded like. But I, I don't know if they are still in existence, but I have texted people to find out if they are still... Uh, available and Did I get- anyone reply no <laughs> <laughs> I never knew you were in another band it was short-lived I think we only played for about th- we practiced for about two or three months and then we played two shows and uh, I went away to college and that was it and that's when we never heard from Tommy again until he returned in 2004 and then he and I got drunk every weekend for the next 
10 years. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was that prodigal son, except for, you know, I just came back and got hammered. Yeah, well, listen, now we're doing this. <laughs> you love to see it. You love to see it. Now It's all progress. Progress, not perfection. Hmm? I love it. Yeah. All right, well, listen, we're out of time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're, we're back next week with another exciting episode. New episode, new guest. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and until next time. Yay!